This last week on Tuesday, it was a beautiful day, and I was traveling southbound down I-25 through town. And the only reason I know I was going southbound is because Steve told me that that's the direction I was headed. And so I was going southbound, and I was coming up on 6th Street. And, I, and a, a car just caught my attention as he was... He was uh, coming on to I-25 off of 6th Street, and he was in one of those land barges. I mean, one of those cars that just go on forever. I mean, they're like a tank. And so he got on to I-25 and got up to highway speed about 75 miles an hour. I think that's what the speed limit is there. Uh, that's not what I drive there. Uh, whatever the speed limit is, that's what I do. And so, uh, they're right, yeah. And so, and so, but something happened when he got on I-25 all of a sudden, his hood flew up. I've never seen that before in my life. It was like mass chaos. I mean, number one, he panicked. Even though it was a beautiful day, even though it was a clear day, he could no longer see in front of him. And I mean, he started weaving all over the place, swerving. Cars are like flying everywhere. I'm thinking, this is not going to end well. You know how you, and so I slowed down, you know, uh, because I wanted to watch. And uh, <laughs> like you've never done that. Okay? So I slowed down and thinking, you know what? And I'm watching this guy. He's trying to look out the, 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 the window. He couldn't really see out there. And, and so he's trying to look under the hood and the engine, you know, in that space of there he's trying to see. He can't see at all. And I mean, c cars are giving him a wide berth. And I'm just thinking, it is not going to end well. And there's nothing worse than not being able to see in front of you, right? Even on a clear day, even on a beautiful day, not being able to have vision of where you're headed and where you're going. I mean, you, you and I know this, that as long as we can see in front of us, we can drive through any snowstorm, unless you're a Texan, uh, but you can drive through any snowstorm, any rainstorm, high winds, dust storms, whatever. As long as there's visibility, as long as, I mean, we may have to slow down. But as long as there's visibility, we can keep going. But even when circumstances like on Tuesday are fabulous, if we can't see in front of us, we have no direction in life. We're in a group of scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And When Paul is talking to the Corinthians, and, and Paul had had gone through uh, a lot of problems in his life and, and he's getting real personal and he's talking about some struggles in his life and he gives us a lot of answers this morning and, and, and here's what happened with Paul. Paul's vision of God got so strong that, God, that Paul saw God being bigger than his problems. God saw, Paul saw God being bigger than the struggles and the circumstances that he goes through in life. You see, the problem is, is when we lose our vision of God, that our problems become bigger and God becomes smaller. But P Paul understood that God is bigger than any problem that I've ever gone through. And so there's three principles that I want to give you this morning as we just, we just look at this, this issue and some principles that Paul gave us. The first one is this. Spiritual highs in life are wonderful, but you've got to understand they're rare. Spiritual highs are wonderful in life, but you and I have to come to the point to where we have to admit they're wonderful, we've had them, but they are rare. There are some Christians, there are some believers that want to live in the spiritual highs of life to where everything's going their way, prayers are being answered. And let me tell you something, 
if you're that person to where you expect everything to go your way and God never to say no and nothing ever happens that disappoints you, then you are setting yourself up for failure. The fact is you're vulnerable in a couple of areas. You're vulnerable in the area of depression. If you believe that life should be lived in the spiritual highs of life to where, to where everything is just happening and everything is going your way and you have no struggles, you have no problems, do you realize you are setting yourself up for depression? Because when you go in that valley, when you have that difficulty, you'll be just like the car on the road. The second thing it does, it makes you susceptible to someone to manipulate you. Whether it's a pastor, whether it's a church... God wants you healthy, wealthy, happy. God wants you to have prosperity. If, if you're a true believer, if you truly follow him, if there's no sin in your life, everything just works out. You see, the problem with expecting to live in spiritual highs of life is that we can come to a point to where we can believe that everything should work out for us. And when it doesn't, it's dangerous. Watch this. Paul goes on, verse 1, chapter 12. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing gained by it. Now, now there's some people, false apostles, that are trashing him, and, and he has to talk about his credentials. They talked about their earthly credentials. He's like, I want to talk about my credentials, which is what God has done in my life, because I don't boast in the flesh. And so he goes on, he says, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, these are some comments that make some of us a little nervous with our spiritual background. And then Paul in verse 2 moves to where he begins to talk in third person. And so there's a lot of discussion about why is he talking in third person? Well, to understand that, you have to understand their culture and the context. It was common for the teachers of their day, the philosophers and the other teachers of their day, when they would drive a point home, they would talk in third person. That's all Paul's doing. Paul moves now to make a point, to highlight it, and he begins talking in third person. He's talking about himself. Verse 2, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Hang on to that. We'll explain that. There are not levels in heaven. That's not what Paul, I know there's some people that have twisted that, but we'll look at that. That is not what he's talking about. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. The same word all through scripture that was used for heaven. We know he's talking about heaven. Remember the thief on the cross when he looked at Jesus and he said, remember me? And Jesus says, today you will be with me. Where? You will be with me in paradise. When Jesus at the end of his earthly ministry here and he was about ready to go to the cross and he was encouraging the disciples and he says, but, but be of good cheer, be of good heart. Because I have to go, but I go to what? To prepare a place in the Greek, same word for paradise, same word for heaven. So we know when you look at the context of Scripture that Paul is talking about being lifted up into heaven, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know, but guess what? God knows. And then he goes on and he says, and he has heard things that he cannot, that cannot be told, which no man may not utter. In other words, I've seen things in heaven and I've heard things of heaven that I am not permitted to tell. But it is a great place. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except in my weaknesses. We've watched that. We've talked about this theme of weaknesses and struggles. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it. Watch this. So that no... No one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. What a man of integrity. I don't want to be any more than I am. 
I don't want you to think any more of me than I really am. I want to live a transparent life. I only want you to think of me, what you have seen, what you have witnessed in my life, what you have heard from me. I mean, Paul was a man of great integrity. And then he begins talking about this issue of struggles and how he's been able to get a big vision of God that has given him strength to go through some struggles. And so the issue of the third heaven, it was before the period of enlightenment. So in their day, they believed the first heaven was, was the atmosphere. It's where we see the clouds. It's where we see wind. It's where, uh, it's where we see the birds fly. So they would say that's the first heaven. The second heaven is above the atmosphere. It's in space. At night or during the day when we look and we see the moon, we see the, the, the sun, uh, that'd be the second heaven. At night when we see the planets, when we see the stars, when we see the galaxies, when we see the Milky Way, that would be the second heaven. The third heaven is what they taught that cannot be seen. It's where God resides. It's paradise. It's the place that Jesus is going to prepare for you. And Paul is saying, I've been there. And I've heard some inexpressible things, and heaven is a great place. And I've heard and seen some things that I am not permitted to tell. And he begins talking to them about a spiritual high in his life, and there are some times in your life that you will have a spiritual high. But understand they are rare. I remember at 16 years of age, my first spiritual high. When I accepted Christ, and I'm sitting in a pew in a little church, and my heart was about ready to beat out of my chest because I knew I needed to walk the aisle, and I needed to go down, and I needed to receive Him. And the hardest part was the first step, but when I stepped out, I had this presence of God in my life. I felt Him, and I went down and accepted Him. When I was baptized, and followed him in believer's baptism. When I was in Beattlestock, Poland, and God had been dealing with me for a number of years to follow him in ministry and commit to a life of ministry, and it's something I never wanted to, I just struggled with that. And I'm in Beattlestock, Poland. We're next to the Russian border. I'm in an old, old, dilapidated church. I'm down in the basement. I was sleeping on a dusty cot. And I opened up my Bible in Psalm 2710 changed the direction of my life forever in those days you just couldn't pick up a phone and call back to the states and I couldn't even call Karen and process it with her and God knew he had to get me alone and my life would change forever and then when Karen and I God bless you uh, when, when Karen and I I'm sorry ADD but when, when, when Karen and I surrendered to the ministry here to come and plant a church and just take a risk, we both talked that God's presence was so strong in our life that it's like he put these spiritual blinders. We couldn't even imagine something going wrong. It didn't even seem like a risk to us because his presence was just, just so strong. When a core group of people met in Pueblo and you could fit, when you could fit the whole church in my living room. <laughs> and we held an Easter service at Memorial Hall, 1995. We spent every dime we had. We didn't know, what we, we, didn't know if we were going to work at Sonic or McDonald's after that. We spent every dime we had. 
and to watch many of you stream in that place. And God birthed a church out of Memorial Hall. Easter, when we go back, this will be our first time back since God birthed a church there. That's why we're worshiping on Sunday. We're doing two services, 9 and 11. It has deep spiritual significance to this body, to this church. Invite your friends. Get people there. We experienced a spiritual high as a church family this last year when within 24 hours we baptized 110 people. Yeah, you can clap. And we just saw the brokenness. And, and many of you in this room, you'll talk about your spiritual high, spiritual high of meeting Christ. Maybe you were within the 110s. A lot of people wear that like a badge of honor. And they should. And say, I was baptized on that day. See, a spiritual high is when we sense the presence of God like none other time in our life. And maybe some of you have some spiritual highs in your life. But remember, they happen, but they're rare. When, when Jesus was the transfiguration, remember when Jesus was, was lifted up and transfigured and, and there Simon Peter was there. Simon Peter was the guy that, that would use his outside voice instead of his inside voice and can't believe I said that out loud. Should have kept that to myself, that guy. And so Jesus was transfigured. He was lifted up and there was Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And I mean, it was a spiritual moment. It was a spiritual high. And then Simon Peter, you know what he says? Jesus, it is good that I am here. Man, sometimes we want to manipulate spiritual highs. We want to take credit for spiritual highs. And he said, Jesus, it's good. It's good. I'm here because what, Jesus, what, what, what Simon Peter wanted to do, he wanted to mark it. He wanted to make a memorial. Because we all want to live in spiritual highs. Simon Peter's no different from us. We're no different from him. He wanted, and you know what Jesus did? Jesus led Simon Peter and the disciples down through the Kidron Valley. And they went and they ministered to a demon-possessed little boy to teach them spiritual highs are rare. Life is to be lived in the valleys. It's the spiritual highs in your life and the spiritual highs in my life that give me the strength and give you the strength to walk through the difficult times of life. The second thing about this, about this life is this is difficulties are common and normative or normal in the Christian life. Because of contemporary Christianity, when we have difficulties, when we have problems, we think something abnormal is going on, like God doesn't love us and God doesn't care for us. But they are normal in the Christian life. You and I have to come to grips with that and understand that it's a part of life. Life is not meant to be lived, lived in the spiritual highs. Life is meant to be led in the valleys, but in the valleys it is the spiritual lives, the spiritual highs that give you and I the confidence to walk. Watch this, verse 7, Paul goes on. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, the vision, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. That is such a huge statement. Simon Peter understood God is sovereign. Listen, God is sovereign in your good times and your bad times. God, sometimes our greatest tragedy in life sets us up to see God's greatest triumph in our life. When you come to the point, when I come, come to the point that I can understand that God is sovereign, then it gives me comfort in the difficult times. 
After Easter, we're going to go through the book of Ruth, and, and uh, some of you can read ahead. That's what that whole, it's the greatest love story ever told. Man, I tell you this, it's a four-week series. Get your wife here every week, and you will not have to take her to a chick flick. It will suffice, I promise you. It is the greatest love story and the redemption of Christ and the thought and the principle that God is sovereign in the good times and the bad times. And guess what? When we understand he's good, he's sovereign in the bad times, then we can trust him because we understand that he's, that he's in control. And Paul had come to the point that he said, I'm a better person in the flat, it, it, with, the, with the thorn in the flesh than without. See, God knew in Simon Peter's life, and God knows in my life, and God knows in your life how to counter out, counteract blessing with burden. There are some of you, and you look at people, and you say, you know what? I wish I had their blessing. Listen, you don't know the burden they carry. You don't know the burden they carry. God doesn't want us to become arrogant or prideful. And God will balance out in your life and my life a blessing with a, with a burden so we don't forget him and we don't forget who he is and we don't forget what he's done in our life. And listen, there's all kinds of thoughts about what was this thorn in the flesh? I'll give you just a few that I, that I looked and researched to see what theologians are saying and, and some would say was it was relational problems and some would say it was some health issues in his life some would say he had epileptic seizures some would say it was a speech impediment because of the number of times in scripture especially through the corinthians letters that he talked about it was difficulty uh difficult for him to speak he some believe it's fleshly temptations some believe it's, it's an ex-mother-in-law and uh just saying <laughs> uh, so, some would think it was some hateful persecutors and some would think that it was a constant earache and some would think that it's a grotesque physical appearance and I'll tell you what I believe it is because of, of um, Galatians 4.15 uh, the scripture says in Galatians when he ended the letter to them was this as he says uh, would you see what big letters I am writing with my own hand in a lot of the other letters he had someone take notes he dictated and the lettering was much smaller so I believe that he had a problem with eyesight but you know people People really don't know. But we know this, that he had a thorn in the, in the flesh. And some people suggest that if you're a believer that he wants you healthy and wealthy. And, and I'd tell you this, he cares more about your character development in him. And Paul said, there was a thorn given to me. And he became grateful for the difficulties in his life. And he goes on, verse 8, he says, three times I... I pleaded with the Lord about this that that it should leave me. Now, a Jew, Jewish audience would understand what th when they referred to three times that was a picture of continuous prayer. It wasn't the picture of coming to church and writing on my connect card on the prayer request section three prayers and God doesn't answer it or or whatever and so I'm done. No. This was continuous prayer. Same words that are used for Jesus in Mark chapter 14 before he was going to the cross and, and he asked the disciples to pray for him and you find that he prayed three times. But it was also continuous. And so he began to continually ask God to remove this weakness, to remove this burden from him. And Paul came to the point in his weakness 
that he accepted God's will for his life. Here's the interesting thing about this. God didn't give him an explanation. How many times do we ask why? And there are some well-meaning believers that try to help you and try to support you when you're going through hard times, and they say, you know what, one day you'll know why, and that's a false belief. Paul doesn't know why. Job never knew why. He may now know. And so God didn't even give him an explanation, but you know what God did for him? He did something better because here's the deal. Here's, here's just what I've found. Even when people go through tragedy and they feel like they know the answer to, to why, it doesn't help. It makes it worse. It makes them feel like, well, I, I might understand why, but you love them more than you love me. Listen, even if God told us the why, it would not comfort you. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We don't have the capacity to understand the why. And so many of us, we, we, we take so much emotional energy in trying to figure out the why. But God did something better for Paul than answering the why. He gave Paul a promise. He said, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you. And often God meets our needs by not eliminating the problems out of our life, but by transforming us. He goes on in verse 9, and he says this. He said, but he said to me, now the tense of that verb structure sentence is critical in Scripture. That is, the, the tense of the verb is this, that he could never forget that promise. It was always, when you know you have a promise from God, you can't, listen, I've never made a, a ministry decision or a, a personal decision without a promise in Scripture from God. I am living on Isaiah 43, 18 through 23. That was the promise God gave me for this church. And I am, for, for the last 15 years, I've been living it out. And when I go through difficult times, when I go through hard times, I go back to the promise. When I go through the doubts, when I go through the hurt, when I go through the fear, that's the power of a promise. See, a promise is much more powerful to us than the why. And he said this. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest on me. Verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then I am content. We've got to understand the definition of the Greek and the word content because their English definition is just kind of shallow to, compared to what it meant in the Greek. Yeah, it means to be satisfied with. Yeah, it means to accept. But it meant something deeper than that in its deepest form. It meant this, to be detached from one's circumstances. My life doesn't live and the, or ride the roller coaster of good times and bad times. My happiness, my joy, my faith in Christ does not depend on my circumstances. I am detached because I am more attached to Christ than I am to my circumstances. That's the only way in life that you and I can ever be content with hurt and pain and persecution. And stuff in the valley that we don't even want to deal with is we have to be more attached to him and less attached to the circumstances. And the problem is there are so many of us that we're more attached to the circumstances than we are to him. A promise is more important 
than the why. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. Because I've learned this. For when I am weak, I am strong. I am strong. When Paul looked at his weaknesses, instead of being discouraged, he pointed to God. See, weaknesses are not a sin issue. Weaknesses is a limitation. Weaknesses is something hereditary, something you're born with. It could be, uh, it, it, it could be a, a set of circumstances that you can't change. I, I hear so many people say, well, you know, I just have a weakness for that sin area and, and uh, I just can't help myself. That's not a weakness. That's sin. It's a choice. A weakness is something you can't change. All of us have a weakness. Your weakness may be physical, maybe an illness, maybe a terminal illness, it may be a handicap, maybe a disability. Maybe a speech, whatever, where you just can't change it. Some of us have an emotional energy, uh, emotional weakness. You may be carrying an emotional scar that is so deep that you're so scared if anyone touches it. And you've built up walls. And it may be trauma from childhood. Maybe abandoned, maybe going through a divorce, maybe been betrayed, maybe been sexually, physically abused. You may be carrying a scar from a church, a pastor. I'll never be hurt like that again. I'll never let it go. Some of you are carrying around an emotional weakness. Maybe intellectual. Maybe you got some limitations there. I'm going to tell you one that you probably never thought of. Some of you may have a spiritual weakness. God can never forgive me. God can never use me like he does everyone else. God can never bless me. Yeah, I can sit in a big church like this and look around, but look, guess what? He may have forgiven them, but they don't know what I've done in my life, and God can never forgive me like he's forgiven them. And that's an emotional weakness. The Bible's full of God using imperfect people and God using people with deep weaknesses in their life. And Paul came to the place because his vision of God got so big and so large that he saw God bigger than any of his weaknesses, in any of his problems, in any of his struggles. Paul even got to the point to where he understood that the weaknesses that he's been given in life is not an accident. When you understand the sovereignty of God, it doesn't give you more questions about God. It makes you more comfortable to rest in God because now you know He is with you regardless of hurt, pain, circumstances, good times, bad times. He's there. You see, weaknesses in your life and weaknesses in my life do several things is what the Scripture says. The first thing it does, it prevents arrogance in your life. When you know you have weaknesses and when you know it's in your weaknesses, he is strong, 
those of you that have been doing life journaling with you, with us, you know through Deuteronomy, uh, the writer of Deuteronomy has communicated to the children of Israel that said, be careful that you think that your success and your wealth is because of your hands. It's because God's blessing is on you. God has given you the ability to make wealth. He's given you your hands. He's given you intellect. He's given you the mind. He's given you the ability. Listen, if you don't understand that, you will consider yourself a self-made man, a self-made woman. And the problem with that, we worship the one who creates us. And you'll worship yourself. So it prevents arrogance. And another thing it does, it guarantees power in your life. When I am weak, I am strong. It gives you a ministry. You want to know what the platform of your ministry is? It's whatever your weakness is. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says this, who confronts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by who? By God. When you go through difficult time, don't you want someone to come around you that has gone through the same circumstance, the same issue as you, and has gone through it and found freedom in Christ and acceptance and, and all those other things to be able to help you? Who wants someone around you that cannot imagine what it'd be like to lose a loved one? What it'd be like to lose a child? What it'd be like to have abandonment? What it would be like to go through addictions or anything like that? The most powerful ministry that you will have in your life when it comes out of your weakness. I want to know what happened to the car. So I, I slowed down to watch. And people gave him a wild berth, a wide berth. And he simply pulled over to the shoulder of the road, got out of his car, went, closed the hood, and got back in his car and drove away. In other words, he pulled over and got some things cleared up so he had a new vision of where he was headed. The weather didn't change. Nothing changed in the circumstances except for that. And some of you this morning, you need to pull over. And you need to lift down whatever is blocking you and get a vision of who God is. Now, there's some people who will tell you in today's world and contemporary Christianity that God no longer speaks to us the way that he did in the Bible. And listen, I cannot agree with, disagree with that even any more stronger God wants to make himself known to you. Here a few weeks ago, a, a lady came down and, and to pray after the service and, and she brought her uh, Stephen's minister along with her to, to tell me what God had done in her life. And she was going through a difficult divorce and a difficult time in her life. And thoughts were coming in and judges now are... are have great influence in her life and child custody battles and all that goes on with that. And she said, I just got to the point I couldn't carry the burden any longer in my life. And so she called the church office and she talked to Dwayne. And she said, is there any way that I can just come down to the church? You open up the worship center for me and just let me come in and sit before the Lord. I just need a port in the storm. I just, I need to be able to focus. In other words, she was pulling over. And so she came and she sat on the back row and Dwayne let her in and turned on the lights down front and some lights in the sanctuary. And he, he walked away. He had another appointment. He walked away. So she was in here alone 
without any pastor. And she sat on the back row and she stared at the cross and and she said her mind was racing about her circumstances and the things that she was going through and the difficulties of life and in fear of what was going to happen and how judges were going to rule and how they were going to influence her life. And in the stillness of her spirit, she heard God's voice that said, come closer. And she, so she has this dialogue with God and she says, I don't want to come closer. I'm comfortable where I'm at on the back row. He goes, I want you to come closer. She says, I'm, I don't want to come closer. He goes, I want you to come closer. She says, I, I can't come closer. I, I can't. He says, no, I want you to come closer. So she finally gave up. She made her way down the aisle, and she sat in this seat right there. And she looked at the cross, and she's thinking. And then she heard again, I thought I told you to come closer. She says, God, I don't want to come any closer. He says, no, I want you to come closer. She says, you don't understand. This, this platform's like sacred. It's, it's not for people like me. It's for a pastor. Or the pastors is for a worship team. It's not for someone like me. He goes, no, I'm telling you to come closer. She says, God, I can't come closer. And they had this run in dialogue, and so finally she gave up. And, and so she humbled herself because of the sacredness of the cross and the sacredness of this platform she took off her boots and she slowly came up and she knelt back here at the cross remember it's just her and God and the voice returned and said what do you want me to do for you and so she rummaged through her purse and she got found a slip of paper and she started writing down and then the voice interrupted her thoughts and as she was writing says no I don't want your burdens just today. I want them all. I want every one of them. Not some of them. I want every one of them. And so she wrote them out. She folded up the slip of paper. She laid it at the altar. She went back to her seat. She put her boots on. She walked out that back door. When she hit that door, she said, for some reason, I just wanted to look back at the cross one more time. And so she looked back at the cross and she heard the voice for the last time. Said, I told you not to look back. You've left your burdens with me. And she said, as she hit our front doors and went out of here, the day seemed brighter. She seemed lighter. Her circumstance is still the same. The issues that she's walking around didn't change, but what changed was her view of God. And she saw God taking her burdens and she didn't have to carry it any longer and that he was bigger than anything that she could ever walk through. Some of you this morning, you need to pull over. How long will you carry that burden? How long? Listen, if you could have fixed that burden in your life, you would have already done it by now. You can't do it. God doesn't want you to do it on your own. He wants you to come to the point to where you can lay your burden down. And you can walk out of here lighter and freer 
Yeah, you may have the same circumstances, but you will approach it different. And then watch God move in those circumstances. And some of you this morning, with all the love and the grace, you need to pull over. And you need to give him your burdens, not just today, but you need to give him all. Here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Some are already coming even before I've, I've asked you to do anything. Would you stand with me? Some of you need to come down to this altar right now and you need to lay your burdens down. You don't need to wait. Some of you, you have been going through circumstances for years in your life. When are you going to forgive? When are you going to release people in your past who have hurt you? When are you going to admit, I can't fix this, I can't correct this on my own? When are you going to come to Him and not allow people and past hurts and trauma and pain? When are you going to come to Him? There's some of you in this room, I know your burden, and I've been praying for you specifically for this message. And I know for some of you, this is really uncomfortable because it causes you to get out of your pride. It causes you to humble yourself. But the Word teaches us that if we will humble ourselves before Him, He will bless us. Father, we thank You for this morning. This is your time. Father, we already got people down here, and I know there are more to come. Father, would you speak to them? Would you minister to them? Would we have a lot of people walked out of here changed in a few moments? That they'll be willing to lay burdens down, make requests to you. They will humble themselves before you. And would you do a huge work in their life? Father, we love you. Father, we thank you that you love and that you care for us. Thank you that you're ministering to these right now. And you will continue. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Anybody that wants to come, you come.
celebrate it's your love that we sing right now God as people's hearts are being changed God just break down walls let there be freedom in you father
love that has saved me. Your blood, it's your blood, it's your blood that has claimed me. Your love, it's your love, it's your love that has saved me. Your blood, it's your blood, it's your blood that has claimed me. Your love, it's your love, it's your love that has saved me. Amen.